Welcome back to another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Woody Womack. I'm back. I feel like I haven't been on this show in forever. I'm joined by Nick Kruger. Nick, have you missed me or what? Yeah, we've missed you. We've been talking about you. And it does feel like you haven't been on in forever because that's that's exactly what's been the case right now. Well, had you only woken me up when you were supposed to, we were in Dallas. Uh, we would have had the three-man episode that we, we've uh, longed to record. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about trying to wake you up in the morning. That's not... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's well, it's not that hard, but it's not that easy either. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. We've got all kinds of topics. Surprisingly, because it's uh, kind of a cool time of year for recruiting in terms of uh, news and and everything. We got a lot of kids committing before their senior season starts. Guys like to lock in their position uh, in case there's any type of injuries or anything like that. But a lot of off-the-field news. I want to start with Trey Smith, a guy that uh, people ask you a lot of questions about, Nick. <laughs> uh, he, he's a four-star offensive lineman from Tennessee. Uh, a lot of other sites have him ranked in the top uh, 20 now, I believe. I think he's he's dropped on a few sites after his performance at the opening. Of course, we don't have him in the Rivals 250. We still have him as a four-star. Uh, I anticipate him moving up some based on what we saw from uh, the opening uh, in terms of uh, the video we got out of that event, obviously we're not allowed to, to cover that event, so uh, we have to rely on the video. But the the big news regarding him this week was Tennessee deciding to hire his older sister uh, and bring her into the fold in the football football ops, I believe is what we've uh, termed it. <laughs> and uh, you know, a, a lot of people are, are you know curious as to as to what that means for his recruitment personally. You know, me, I think it basically seals it up. I think you go and hire a family member, I mean, especially his sister. Uh, it's, I, you know, from my understanding of his family situation, his mom died when he was younger. So, you know, his his sister's kind of filled that void a little bit over the last few years. And I think I think it's a big deal. What's what's your take from the outside? I know you're not following his recruitment, but what do you think about the move of, uh, you know, bringing in a family member like that? Well, this isn't the first time that we've seen uh, something like this, this this sort of move, it, and it and often frequently it happens too with, uh, you know, maybe a high school coach or uh, some other you know some other trainer, uh, you know, that's that's that kind of sends up a flare that this commitment might be happening for a specific kid based on relationship or whatever. So you know, I mean, it's not it, and it's not something that it's not something that I think is uncommon. And it's not something that I think is uh, unreasonable either. I mean, I'm sure she's very qualified in her. Uh, you know, position of football ops and whatever that might entail that, you know, she could get that job on her own merit. I don't put nothing past her. Yeah, I think... The bigger uh, question, do you think she's better at football ops than he was at the opening? That's the bigger question. (laughs) Oh, geez. I'll take a no comment on that one. I think, (laughs) you know, you mentioned her resume. She was working at the NCAA before. I believe she uh, was a student manager at... uh, at Tennessee uh, under Pat Summit there, so for the women's basketball team, which is interesting because I often get made fun of by recruiting fans for for them telling me that I was probably the manager of my high school football team. Um, <laughs> which, you know, if any of these people saw me in person, they would realize that they're sorely mistaken based on my <laughs> athletic ability. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, Paul, speaking of Tennessee, Paul Fortenberry's been ducking me on the basketball court for at least two years after the last time he saw me hit some jump shots. So, uh, you know, it, nah, it was just, a real, you know, it was a real drop the mic scenario for him. He comes out and has a you know a good showing for himself and then, you know, does the George Costanza ends on a high note and never wants to play again. Right. So <laughs> that's right. Paul is a very good basketball player. But so 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 getting back to Trey, I mean, I you know, I had been told by uh 
a couple people who were around him at the opening, including uh, his roommate, that he was all set for Notre Dame, which kind of surprised me because, you know, Ole Miss has been in the mix, Alabama's been in the mix. But, I, I you know, I just don't see a scenario in which, you know, his sister's going to work in football ops, which... It really, we talked about it off the air, it really sounds like a covert, you know, SEAL Team 6 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, but uh, I can't see a situation where she's, you know, she went to Tennessee, she's living there, uh, you know, for family reasons. He's from Jackson, Tennessee, which, you know, is in the state, but is about, I think, five hours away from Knoxville. So it's it's pretty far, if, especially if you compare it to Tuscaloosa or, uh, or Oxford, Mississippi. So... Uh, I think for him to go, you know, relatively far away from home, I think that that really uh, seals the deal uh, for the Vols. And then their fans can just uh, continue to call me names and uh, get after me on the message board and, you know, related to his rank, <laughs> related to his ranking. Uh, you know, it's just a tough situation. We can talk about his ranking for a minute if you want. Um, you know, Trey's well, a guy you, that we... I, I, haven't, I haven't watched the... Uh, I haven't been able to watch the the stuff from the opening uh like you have so you're you're definitely going to have more of a a point of reference on him than i than i would so yeah well so you know the the controversy is he was initially in the rivals 250 that came out i think uh last year at this time he was somewhere in the 190 to 200 range uh we had hoped to see him during the fall uh you and i actually had hoped to get out there looked at the schedule uh, Tim Sullivan, who now works for our Virginia Tech site, went to watch him play against, I believe, Chase Hayden's team uh, and said, you know, he's probably a four-star guy. Uh, you know, just didn't didn't give him the, uh, the special tag, you know. And then uh, he came to the Future 50 in Orlando, wasn't able to work out there. Uh, we were hoping to see him there against some of the best guys. And then uh, we didn't see him at, at uh, any camp events in the spring. I think he went to the Nike camp in Chicago, which... You know, obviously, it's not something that 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 we can go to, and we did have uh, Andrew Ivans there, who who at that time worked for our Notre Dame site. Uh, he said he see, saw him as a solid four star as well, and then uh, then we have the opening video uh, where he didn't finish at the top five at his position there. So, you know, that's the kind of the rationale. It's just it's tough, you know, and you you can speak to this even though you don't know Trey. It's tough to rank guys, especially on the offensive line, who don't play against any other Division One talent. I mean, I think a lot of evaluating guys in games comes where you can go see a big matchup. I mean, when you and I pick a game to go to on a Friday, we want to see ideally a four-star against a four-star at that specific position so you can actually watch the battle. I mean, that's where we saw Mitch Hyatt excel, dating all the way back to him going against Robert Kimdichie. So, I mean, it's just tough. I mean, don't you agree? Yeah. uh, And I remember another time we saw Mitch Hyatt go up against Lorenzo uh, was it Lorenzo Carter? I think his name is yeah. <laughs> uh, the Georgia commit. And, and, and that was, that was a pretty interesting watch between the two of them. And I did a whole video of, you know, the, the 15 reps where they actually went up one-on-one against each other. And it's really interesting to watch it that way. Even when you're watching, you know, we have re-rankings coming up for, uh, both classes here shortly. And like, you're going back through the tape and you see an offensive lineman's, uh, film from, you know, the high school season and they're just plowing dudes faces into the ground. And you have to remind yourself to like, look at the, the the height differential, the size differential between the defensive linemen that he's going up against in that that highlight film. So it really it really does make a difference to see people in person and uh, and get a closer you know just get a closer look at how quick they move and how strong they actually are. Uh, because sometimes you know when you're watching it through a camera lens, it doesn't always tell the whole story. Yeah, and, and generally, if if a rule of thumb, if the defensive lineman looks like me, uh, then it's not worth a whole lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, moving on to another potential package deal, uh, something that we've also seen in recent years done by uh, this particular school, the University of Georgia made big news. Uh, well, actually, it didn't make big news because maybe not everybody realizes, but uh, D'Angelo Gibbs is a prime target for Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia, and a few other schools. His cousin, uh, the son of Jake Reed, you know, former Minnesota Vikings receiver that we all we all loved. Uh, I think it was number was he number eighty six back in the day? Probably. His son uh, was at Tulsa, and uh, you know him and D'Angelo are very close. D'Angelo goes out there and trains with Jake, works out in Texas, does a lot of that stuff in the summer. You know, Christmas break, spring break, stuff like that. So, so you know, his J.R. Reed was at Tulsa, and uh, you know there was word coming down that potentially the two of them wanted to play together. He was looking to transfer. Tennessee was interested. Georgia was interested. He ends up uh, transferring to Georgia. Now, I'm not sure if he's enrolled on campus or anything like that, but I I can tell you that, uh, you know, f- from what I heard, uh, sources close to the situation say that, you know, Tennessee was not happy that, that they ended up getting him. Obviously, they got D'Angelo's other cousin, Nigel Warrior, on the team. Uh, currently, he signed it in, in the February. So, but, you know, from, from what I gather, I think, you know, this basically seals uh, – George's position with Gibbs, I think there's a possibility he could already be committed. I mean, we hear a lot about Georgia having all these silent commits. I I personally think it's a done deal now, similar to Trey Smith. And, you know, we saw this happen with, uh, you know, our good friend Jonathan Ledbetter. Uh, His brother transferred into Georgia uh, last year, I believe. He was a college basketball player. He transferred in to play football. I'm not sure if he's seen any time on the field yet, but... uh, you know, it's like you said, it's commonplace with some of these things happening. And I think, you know, getting the cousin in, the cousin deciding that's where he's going to go. Maybe maybe he decided that's where he's going to go because D'Angelo told him that's where he's going. So, uh, no, it's really it's really funny. Uh, you know, and I've talked about this a few times, uh, a number of times over the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, the number of kids from Texas this year that are all uh, accumulating up in up in Iowa. And it seems like it's mostly driven by the fact that they've all built relationships with each other and all because you know very often you talk to kids and you say oh you know I know you're best friends with this kid or you know so on and so forth does that impact your recruitment and you know sometimes they'll say yes and and it never and it never does I feel like this year more more so than uh than what I've been accustomed to hearing and learning about in past seasons I feel like it's becoming more and more of a common thing for people to actually you know make that connection uh you know and make good on the connection between you know having an established relationship at a place uh, before, you know, before committing there. Yeah. So, so all signs right now point to D'Angelo going to Georgia. I think probably before the season starts would be my personal projection. I think I would expect a commitment to come from him. Uh, if it's not already been, been done behind the scenes, uh, you know, and then when that happens, it's going to obviously going to trigger some other guys, uh, which, uh, we can talk about next week, some other commitments coming up. So, you know, a guy that, that you and I were both uh, friendly with, at least during his high school years, we made the trip down to uh, South Georgia several times to see Raekwon McMillan. He was a five-star linebacker, at least on Rivals. Uh, you know, I know the local newspaper, I remember saying he wasn't even the best linebacker in the state, let alone the country. Uh, and, uh, un- unfortunately, they're looking, they're looking like uh, they were wrong a little bit. Um, <laughs> Who did they say was the best like- linebacker in the state? I can't remember. Uh, it was the guy, you know, the guy who uh, at that time would, you know, would gladly talk about how everyone was a five star that wasn't a five star, and and vice versa. So, 
you know, he's still in that he's still in that job. He's still doing well there, so good for him. Uh, but you know, we loved Raekwon. I think uh, you know we saw him transitioning very well to college. He has done well. But he told a story this week at Big Ten Media Day, saying that when he when he was in high school, he went to South Carolina for a visit, and uh, Steve Spurrier didn't even know who he was. <laughs> so, you know, the poor old ball coach has been getting dragged through the mud. This is why this is a classic example. But I think you and I have both heard. I know I have. No, he was. Stories. Remember, there was a couple years ago on signing day. He was on national television. Didn't know any like doing an interview on live TV. Didn't know any of the kids' names. And I think they either came back to him for a follow up interview or he just like stammered his way through until he could get a sheet of paper in his palm. And you could see him kind of like looking down on camera. I think at some point he might have just had both hands on it and just totally was unapologetic about it. But I. I saw for my I saw for myself he didn't know who the kids were that they were getting commitments from on that day, not just who they were recruiting. <laughs> so so it's, it was tough for Spurrier there at the end. I think uh, a lot of these older coaches, like you know, uh, at my old mater, George O'Leary, would notoriously I could tell you know he he never knew who any of the kids were when we would go to the to the signing day press conferences to cover it. I think you know Bill Snyder. I just think a lot of these guys, especially these head football coaches at that point are kind of like, you know, I guess in CEO CEO mode where they don't necessarily know the kids. They they delegate to their staffs. They expect them to do a lot of stuff. And so I'll defend Spurrier a little bit on that one. I know I've heard stories uh, from people uh, related to Urban Meyer with a similar story of, of them of Urban not knowing who somebody was. And boy, well, but the here's kids, the they, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So here's two. It's two parts, right? When you, when we interview the kids and we say, uh, who do you have the best relationship with? you know, coaching wise, and they almost always say the assistant coach or the recruiting coach in their area. It's not, it's not ever hardly the head coach. I mean, most of the kids you talk to say, you know, they'll only, you know, they'll only talk to the coach when they get on campus and stuff anyway. Uh, and that's when they're far, farther along in the recruiting process. But, you know, at the time, you know, we're talking, we're talking about Steve Spurrier having that moment on television that I was referring to earlier. But I think at that point, I, you know, I mean, they they weren't they weren't competing well in the SEC, and he you know he was on his way. I mean, he was on his way out anyway at that point, right? And he was just kind of coasting through. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of concern about it was affecting their recruiting because was he going to retire two to three years? Or I remember there was all kinds of controversy. I would so. expect more head coaches that are in a little bit more of a you know a hot seat scenario, or you know have a, have an ascending program. How how many recruits do you think Jim Harbaugh knows by name or has spoken to personally? We always well, use him as the litmus <laughs> test for everything in college football. Yeah, well, and I, I have that discussion with a lot of, especially some of the, the schools out west. You know, they take they take the coaches are on vacation in July and stuff like that. Down here, and I mean, you were at a camp the other night. I've been at camps, uh, et cetera. The, you know, these teams don't stop recruiting. Like they sure they take a little vacation during the dead period, but if they're allowed to be recruiting, they're recruiting and they're having kids on campus. So. You know, that's the big difference. That's the biggest thing I've seen. People talk about the talent. I think it's the effort put in by the coaches. Like you said, Harbaugh's, you know, he knows everybody's name when he shows up. I mean, even, you know, Jim McElwain, who I had never met before in my life, uh, came up to me at a satellite camp and was like, yeah, Woody, how's it going? And like, you know, acted like we'd known each other for years. So the this fact is your, that they this know... Is, this is your humble brag of the, of the show. Right, well, <laughs> but, but I'm saying but I'm saying that the, the, the fact that these guys, these coaches know who... Because Charlie Strong who, had who, no idea who I was at Big 12 Media Day. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> the, fa- the fact that these coaches know jabronis like me, uh, that means that they should probably know who the kids are that I, that we're writing about, obviously. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was a rough end for Spurrier, I think, you know, but guess what? I, you know, he did a lot of good things there at South Carolina that can't be overlooked. Uh, so, you know, spare the old ball coach. We, we like him. I, I think, uh, boy, I'd love to have him on the show. Uh, maybe I'll send him this segment and see if we can't get him booked as a guest. <laughs> so that, so, that so, might be so, the end of Rob Seed on the podcast if we can get him as a recurring. Uh... Boy, imagine the amount of drops we could have of Spurrier going, well. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, listen, we got a couple quarterback commitments coming up. Uh, given my uh, proclivity to uh, make bold predictions and be correct, I think uh, longtime listeners of the show will know that I predicted Art Bryles would be fired right before it happened. Uh, I predicted Tate Martell would decommit from Texas A&M. I predicted Kyle Allen would, would uh, transfer from Texas A&M. So watch out, Texas A&M. Uh, uh, you know, uh, negative predictions your way have been have been positive for me so far. And then Rob and I both predicted that the Cavs would win in seven, which really I think goes down as one of the dumbest things we ever did, not betting on that, uh, considering that we predicted it would happen. So uh, Trevor Lawrence and Emory Jones, two top uh, quarterbacks in the class of 2018 here in the state of Georgia. Lawrence, perhaps the number one player in the country. We still have to do the rankings, uh, but he's ranked in the top five uh, pretty much everywhere you see. He's down to Georgia and Clemson. You know, he's been he's been talking to me a little bit off the record, but he hasn't given me any type of, uh, you know, idea where he's going just yet. Um, but I think it's got to be Georgia. I think, you know, both of those schools, it's interesting. Both those schools are loaded at quarterback. I mean, you look at Jacob Eason being a freshman at Georgia. Once Deshaun Watson leaves, there's a couple, there's, there's, uh, Kelly Bryant and, uh, Zare Cooper behind him. Not to mention they have Hunter Johnson coming in in 2017. I like, uh, I like Trevor Lawrence way better than any of the two guys on Clemson you just mentioned though. I feel like he would, he would come in and pass them in a second. Yeah, you think so? Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the the debate is on at Hunter Johnson, and guess what? When I I'm going to come strong on rankings meetings because uh, oh, I forgot about I forgot sh- about Hunter Johnson. I I'm sorry. I thought I I was talking about Cooper and uh, who are the guys that you said were behind what? Uh, I said uh, I said Zarek Cooper and Kelly Bryant, our boy. Yeah. Who, but but those guys are more the prototypical Clemson quarterback uh, than Hunter is in terms of you know mobility and stuff like that. I think Cooper can be a, a star in college too once he uh you Moves know to receiver. He, yeah. <laughs> 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 no he, listen he was on the upswing uh you know trust me so uh, i like him a lot uh you, you know and you know i tend to like clemson quarterbacks regardless uh dating back to deshaun watson so I think, uh, but I think it's going to be George. I just, uh, there's so much local pressure around here on him. And the fact that he's wanting to get it over with and commit right now, I think, I think he's going to, uh, to Georgia. So, so lock that prediction in. You got a prediction on him? Yeah, I know you don't have to talk to him a whole ton, but you've seen him. Um, well, I mean, the only thing I'll say is based on, you know, based on everything that he's said and kind of like his body language during the times that, you know, you've interviewed him when I've been around, I don't know if, I mean, I, I don't honestly know how much like uh, this, this, uh, communal pressure plays into his decision because he just kind of seems pretty, you know, pretty. Yeah, he's pretty, aloof he's, he's pretty laid. He's pretty laid back, huh? Yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, I you you would know better than me. I mean, I I'll, I'll go with Georgia too because you picked them. All right, and then we, and then we have Emory Jones, who 
might be a five-star guy. We have to discuss that on a rankings call. I think that's going to be a heavily talked about. You know, he, he's he's really lit it up this offseason. Doesn't have a ton of great film because of the offense they run. There's some comparisons to Bryce Ramsey there, which, you know, I, makes me really nervous uh, <laughs> as I was never a big fan of his in high school, and we ended up leaving him in the 250, and now he's the first-ever Rivals 250 punter. Um, so, so, will, so will he get drafted higher at punter than Brian Anger did when my Jaguars took him in, in the third round? Yeah, well, just keep him away from the old uh axe there in the locker room, right? <laughs> um, uh, so, Emory Jones, I think the writing's on the wall for him to commit to Ohio State. We saw Tennessee offer Justin Fields, who's a 2018 quarterback from Georgia, as well. Uh, it looked like Emory was bound for Tennessee. I remember him actually texting me one night asking me, should I commit to Tennessee? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) if you you said no, if you said whatever you say right now, the Tennessee fans are going to blame you for him not committing, (laughs) whatever you say. (laughs) I told him, I said, Emory, those are not the kind of questions you ask reporters. I was like, that's what you talk to your coach and your parents about, man. So uh, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't give I can't give you any advice, uh, you know, and, I, and that's a common thing. We, you know, kids sometimes, especially quarterbacks, seem to ask you, Coach know, Woody, we, where should I go? Hey, 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 go? Coach, hey, Coach Woody, where'd you go to school? Like, I went to UCF, so uh, don't. Uh, well, you know, they got a nice offense, but don't go there. Uh, so anyway, I I don't know. It's it's. It's a tough situation because Jones has really been flipping back and forth. Ohio State has been his dream school. Uh, he is a country boy, though, from from Georgia. So I think with, with him, even if he commits, I think there's going to be some moving parts still in place. Uh, but I think Ohio State, probably the pick there. And I think both of these guys honestly could commit before our next episode. That's why I kind of wanted to talk about it uh, ah. today. So, mm-hmm. so. So get 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 ready, people. It, it could be coming down any day uh, on that front. So interesting uh, week for us. We, you know, I guess we were we were both on the road last weekend, which I'm so worn out and tired of traveling. I'm so glad to be home. Uh, I was at LSU, uh, and actually, while I was out LSU, I believe uh, a kid from Texas, Kerry Vincent, a, a four-star DB, committed. He wasn't. He wasn't. Was he there? I can't remember if he was there on campus or not. He he, he was when I talked to him to write his story about his commitment, but I don't. Uh, I mean, usually if that was the case, it's not because he's there to camp, right? I mean, he was just right. No, he was he just was. there. He was there hanging out. We had a lot of these schools doing these big barbecue type things. Which, by the way, I was not invited to stick around and eat some of the food, which was kind of disappointing. Um, Less <laughs> <laughs> miles. I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> So, but but you know the LSU camp, which which comes in as having a reputation. Here's the thing: you can't tell a kid not to go to a. You know, don't ask you for recruiting advice, and then and then blast the coaches on your next statement for not feeding you when you're on campus. It doesn't go right. both ways. You got to get. Hey, <laughs> listen, media meal could be provided. I mean, put me in a separate room. Just give me some of that shrimp gumbo or whatever uh, you were giving the kids down there in Louisiana. Uh, I, I think I ended up getting a hamburger. That was pretty, that was pretty good from a place in Baton Rouge, which, uh, I can't say it was my favorite, uh, unofficial visit of the, the summer, but, uh, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, the, in terms of LSU's camp, it comes in as having this reputation of being this loaded affair and, and, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I know, uh, that, you know, people who've covered it for us in the past have said how great of an event it is. And usually there's national media there. So this year I come down, this is my first year covering Louisiana 
And I have to say, Nick, I was not super impressed. I just don't think the talent level was there. I'd say there was a lot of two and three star level guys. There was probably about, you know, over the four days I was there, 15 to 24 stars. I mean, so it wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot of talent, which kind of, you know, I think is a, a sign of these kids are just worn out, man. By the time the end of July rolls around and these guys have been going to camps since what, February, right? I mean, it's just, it's basically six months of almost every weekend doing something. And I just think that, that they're tired. I think a lot of these schools are going to have to reevaluate. Do we want to have our big camp event in July anymore? Because, you know, or do we just make it a big barbecue or whatever? Because it seems like the kids are burnt out. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I feel like the barbecue is an event is a good motivator for the kids. I've, I've heard lots of kids talk about wanting to go to those barbecues. I think LSU too, uh, you know, without looking at calendars in front of me, I feel like LSU is pretty proactive on the camp circuit this off season. So they might've seen uh, things earlier in the, you know, in their run of camps that they didn't need to see at this point. And you look at their class now, I mean, they've already got 18 commitments for 2017. I, you know, I, there's not a, I don't know what people feel like the the opportunity is left, you know, except for a couple of specific kids in that class, you know. So who knows? Well, I don't know. Yeah, they do have a camp earlier in June, which uh, we did not attend because it was during the five star challenge. But I did want to talk about that. There was a lot of talk about quarterbacks out there. Uh, Jack Tuttle, a four star from California, was there actually throwing all four days, I believe, which was pretty crazy, including on Sunday where uh, he was the only quarterback the coaches had throw d- during one-on-one. So, I mean, he took a ton of reps. Uh, Justin Rogers, who's an in-state uh, four-star quarterback guy I really like, uh, he was there working out on Thursday, and he really lit it up. I mean, he, he actually was better than Lowell Narcisse, their 2017 commitment. He was better than Tuttle. He was better than any other quarterbacks they had out there, even even your boy Jalen Maiden, uh, who made an appearance. And he got the offer. So so I, I I think he's locked in. I think Tuttle personally spending four days there uh means he's real high on LSU. So that leaves your your boy uh Dinkelman. Is that his name? Dunkelman? What's, uh, what's the Z- Zadik Dinkelman. Yeah. Yeah, boy, if that's a quarterback's name if I've ever heard one. He uh he's committed to LSU right now, but he was nowhere to be found as far as I know he didn't visit this summer. And so I kind of got into a debate with the LSU fans on the, the message board on TigerBait.com, our LSU site, where they said there's no way they'll drop Dinkelman for these two. They don't want to hurt relationships in Texas. So what's your take on that? I mean, you talked to him. I know you did a story on him about his communication with the LSU coaches. But I mean, what's your take on those the, the, their quarterback situation in 2018? Well, you know, the one thing I I did ask Dinkelman uh, what he thought about the situation this year with them taking two quarterbacks and, you know, what they like to do in the class. And he didn't seem too interested in uh, being in a situation where too many, you know, I mean, every kid says the same thing where they say they know they got to compete for, you know, their job. But I mean, generally, when you're supposed to be the marquee quarterback in a class, you know, you can have a certain expectation that, you know, you're going to be the only quarterback taken, uh, especially with you know, all the, the other ones that LSU has taken so far. By the way, I thought Miles Brennan, from what I saw at the opening, showed pretty well for himself, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think he did really well. I think, honestly... He's going to be the better... Say, uh, do you think he's the better option than Narcisse? I feel like I know what your answer is there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I was not... Let's just say I was not... I have not been high on Narcisse now, dating back. Well, you know, he's coming off an injury. I think that's tough, so we kind of cut him some slack in the beginning of the spring. Uh, when he was up and down at the camp in New Orleans, he then came to the five-star challenge, I think was the consensus uh, worst quarterback there of the guys we had. 
And then, of course, as I mentioned at the camp, I mean, I th- I would have put him in that group of Tuttle, Rogers, uh, Maiden. I'd put him fourth of those four. So I, I think Brennan Stock is on the rise. I think he fits what LSU does a little bit better than Narcisse. I'm not sure. I, I just don't know about Narcisse, especially as a pure passer. And I think that's the kind of feedback we've gotten from you know, the coaches we have that work our events are, you know, former NFL and college guys. And, you know, they, they kind of had their questions about Narcisse as well. So, so uh, let's say, so let's say Brennan, let's say Brennan has some staying power shows well and, and maxes out his potential and, you know, and, and LSU continues to want to take two quarterbacks next year. I mean, Dinkelman, I, you know, I saw him at, I saw him at the state seven on seven tournament. That was the only time I've had the opportunity to see him. Um, it's, it's, it's funny he plays for he plays for a small school and like during halftime he would go off to a separate tent and he had like uh, he almost had like a uh, I don't like a like he had like a prep staff he had a guy telling him what the defense was doing at the seven on seven tournament he had a towel person you know kind of somebody giving him water he looked like he had like a corner man in a in a boxing ring basically at halftime oh jeez and uh, you know and I mean he was he was good he, you know he kind of he kind of throws an easy pass and you know he kind of has like a similar sort of personality so. Um, you know, I don't know if the I don't know if the killer instinct for him to like want to fight for a job at LSU is the only quarterback in his class is something that's kind of like in his makeup. But you know, also there's a lot of concern too that his uncle is Ty Detmer, who has now taken over as the OC at BYU. Uh, you know, so so there's speculation there. No matter what he says, uh, if he's gonna, you know, if that has anything to do with his feelings on his recruitment or not. So. But I think now, you know, if more, I mean, it doesn't even, it's not even unique to him. It's just any quarterback, right? The more bodies you put into a class at that position, the the less interested you are about staying committed there, I'm sure. Right. So that's, so that's, that's what we think about that. If we get a quick Ty Detmer story before we move on to talk about Texas. Actually, when I was a, a kid, I went to a game with my father uh, where BYU came to play Oregon there in Eugene. I think BYU was pretty highly ranked. Ty Detmer was the quarterback. I think that was around the time he was vying for the Heisman and, and national titles and whatnot. And boy, my dad really let him have it during that game in terms of heckling uh, from the st- from the stands. <laughs> that was a time in uh, Eugene where the where the stands weren't very full. And boy, my dad must have said, "Lay down and die, Ty." Like wow, a hundred <laughs> <100 laughs> times. Yeah, he yeah he did not mess around. So uh, if you see Ty Detmer, make sure you tell him to lay down and die. Uh, see see what he says. See what he says about that. Uh, I'm gonna look up that game's box score. By the way, while we're talking Texas, uh, you went to Texas's camp, I believe. You know, wait, wait, wait. Before away. we get into that, I should I should tell you. I forgot to bring this up when we were talking earlier about commitments. Four star running back to Neil Carter commits to Georgia, and which I'm sure you're familiar with. Have you have you? Oh well, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have any strong opinions about that and the and the tradition of running back uh, that we continue to to feed into here over at the University of Georgia? Well, I'm not sure because you know our, our a friend of the podcast uh, Del McGee is the running backs coach. Came from Georgia Southern, where uh, he obviously uh, you know was was high on our radar because we uh, you know we follow them closely uh, during the season for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> He uh, and you know he he and I were actually you know buddies because uh, we'd see each other at a lot of games, go have meals and stuff like that. And I know he we talked about a lot of running backs, uh, and Carter never came up, which I thought was odd. You know they've been on Cam Akers, they've been in on uh, Najee Harris. I know they were looking at Trey Sermon from from Georgia, who's committed to Oklahoma. 
Uh, they like DeAndre Swift. I think what's going to break down is they'll get Carter, they'll get DeAndre Swift. Uh, Ty Chandler from Tennessee is another guy they were looking at. But, they, you know, they're basically in a position where they can take two running backs every year. I expect Sony Michelle to go to the draft. I expect Nick Chubb to go to the draft whenever he comes back, if he's back in time. You know, he, he'll be back definitely by, you know, first few games, even if he doesn't make it right out of the gate. So that basically leaves them with Elijah Holyfield and, and two guys who have a chance to come right in and play right away. We've seen even with Chubb and Michelle and before that with Gurley and Marshall, they're not afraid to play freshmen. So, uh, I I, can, I don't remember seeing Carter except maybe at future fifty. I don't think he's quite on the the level of Acres and the, and guys like that though. Do you? No. Well, he's he's been real difficult. He's been one of these. He's been a recruiting ghost for me because I've I haven't been even though we follow each other on Twitter. He hasn't responded to our repeated DM attempts for interviews on my part, and uh, and so I didn't really have a feel for him. I I think people expected him to go to Texas A and M. Uh, A&M, of course, has the commitment from uh, Etienne from Louisiana, and they have a lot of running backs on their roster right now. So Carter might have taken a look at that and said, hey, you know, Georgia plays their kids early. They got a new coach from Alabama. This is, you know, this is Alabama 2.0 over there, and I'm going to run the ball like crazy. And so that that was probably the decision-making process for him. So, uh, but I think it's a good pickup nonetheless, even though I, you know, that's pure speculation on my part. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you'll get out and see him during the year uh, with uh, your extensive travel schedule. I know you have uh, you're planning on seeing a lot of games in the fall, like we always do. Except you got to make your own schedule this year, which has uh, got to be a new challenge for you, as oftentimes you uh, piggyback off of my scheduling. Yeah. Well, I've I've already started. I got a couple of key matchups in the books that I know I'm going to go see, and I'll uh, if anybody's interested, I'll, I'll I'll make a note on my I'll write it all out on a note on my phone and post it to my Twitter, and then I'll sign the bottom <laughs> yeah. of it. <laughs> it's interesting the signing the signing thing is really uh an interesting wrinkle that a lot of people have, have taken but we don't have to talk about that right now let's get into texas uh you went to their camp uh uh aptly called friday night lights real original name uh no no it was it was it was under the lights because because it, it was on oh. saturday night it wasn't on friday oh, okay oh it was so saturday night lights um no, it was no. under the light <laughs> It was, it wasn't, listen, I'm calling it Friday Night Lights. I don't care what day of the week it is, uh, Texas fans. I'm sure you'll like that. Uh, but anyway, so under the lights, you were there under the lights. I know uh, you ran into a lot of our former cohorts uh, out there and you had a chance to see a lot. What was your impression of that Texas camp? How was it run? You know, you and I have been to a lot of camps over the years, famously. Uh, you know, we had a, an incident last year, a dog night at Georgia, where we really, uh, kind of swore off camps forever. I think after that, we were both so mad. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's happened. That's happened twice in four years. Speaking of which, Georgia got rid of dog night this year. They didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- what was your take though on Texas and, and how it's, how it st- stuck up and how everything was run? Well, I mean, there certainly weren't as many kids, uh, as there was at the dog night camps that we've been to. It's a smaller group. I mean, it was still a large group, but it was a smaller group because, you know, they did everything just on the one field in, in the, in the stadium. And so it was easy to, I mean, it was cool, you know, like the media and, and couldn't be down on the field, but I mean, it's not like the stands were so crowded. It wasn't an issue to, you know, get kind of an elevated view when there's that many kids on the, on the camp surface, you know, getting a little bit of an elevated view is advantageous anyway. So, you know, you got to see, they, they did, they did a uh, skill, skill position drills for a little while. And then they did one-on-ones, then they broke back into positions 
for a short session and then did another short session of one-on-ones with you know some of the guys that were more serious at, at taking looks at i think so uh but i thought i thought it was a pretty well run camp uh the weather was beautiful the, that was my first chance seeing the stadium so i enjoyed it immensely relative to our experiences at, at dog night for sure how did the what was the situation with i mean were you allowed to talk to players what was what did they let you do did you shoot video what were you allowed to, to do out there yeah. Uh, they, they were, they allowed us to, uh, talk to the players after the camp was over as they were leaving, but we couldn't, we weren't allowed to talk to them, uh, you know, around registration. And then obviously we weren't down on the field. So that wasn't an option to talk to them as the camp was going on. But, um, you know, it was, I mean, if you, if you knew who you were looking for after the camp, it was kind of a, you know, a bottleneck scenario when they were coming out. So you just had to grab the kids that you wanted to see. I thought a few kids helped their stock. And even picked up an offer. I just I just did an update on Jarrell Cherry, who's a uh, you know a defensive end, kind of linebacker hybrid. And in the one on ones, he was you know he wasn't coming coming off the line with his hand on the ground. He was just doing the edge rush uh, sort of thing that you know that we've seen some guys do. But he looked he was real impressive. He picked up an offer afterwards. Uh, Caden Stern uh, picked up an offer. Who's a guy that we saw at Prime Twenty One uh, a little while ago, and and I think has been very impressive in the events that I've seen him in chase and Hines is an offensive lineman picked up an offer um and he did very well in the one-on-ones he wasn't a guy i was familiar with before and then uh stanley lambert a receiver and uh, antonza vognor who was also a prime 21 so so it was a pretty good oh defensive back uh josh thompson cornerback who really upped his stock this spring was committed to tcu flipped after the camp and is now committed to texas too and he had a pretty he had a pretty nice showing for himself in the one-on-ones too so when you're talking to these kids, how much are they really looking at this season coming up and, and kind of being like, okay, this is, you know, I need to see, you know, this from Texas to, to make sure that, that I'm making the right decision. Has that been discussed? I mean, do you, are kids, are kids I don't talking think, about I, Charles? No, I, th- I think, I think we've got some, somehow the perception of Texas got back to where, uh, the wins and losses aren't, aren't the focal point in considering them. It's more about the brand again. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's been the main point of attraction to the kids that have been considering them. I, the only kid that I can see that being the situation with was, uh, the tight end that they, that they just had decommit, uh, a little while ago and was taking, taking visits to Alabama and uh, major Tennyson is his name. And he was taking visits to Alabama and Ohio, uh, Oklahoma state. And I think, I think he was probably looking at it from a, from a, you know, an early success rate sort of point of view, uh, in order for him to be looking around, and then he just decided to, you know, uh, decommit anyway, and he'll be moving on. But I mean, generally, I think you know, I think uh, ch- kids really love Charlie Strong, and I think they're they're considering the brand now. And Charlie's made an effort to hire coaches that have strong uh, strong Texas high school football ties, uh, you know, and, and aren't too far removed from their careers there. So you know, so I think he's he's really making a different effort on the recruiting front, and. You know the camp. The camp couldn't have uh, been better, especially for some of these kids that picked up offers. All right, so that wraps up our recruiting talk. We have Forty solid minutes, depending on how much you edit out, Nick, of you uh, stumbling over your words. But <laughs> at least, at least a solid forty. Uh, let's get let, let, let's get into rants and recommendations. I've been gone for God knows how long. I got a lot of stuff to complain about. So. Uh, First, let's start with you. I know you wanted to talk. You want to complain first? Let's get because you had a you have a recruiting related complaint. So I think uh, I think we should start with that. Well, we mentioned how you know we have rankings updates coming up for the next uh, for 2017 and 2018. So this is the time of uh, my life where I watch a lot of highlight film to make sure that those rankings are where I want them to be. But 
you know, here's the deal, man. And and I know the kids, we talk about the kids not really listening to this podcast. Maybe the parents do that have kids that play football. And if you're putting together a highlight video, do two things for me. Don't, if it's a receiver and he's high pointing the ball or making the catch, don't pause the highlight reel the moment that he makes the catch. S- spot shadow the kid before the thing gets started so I can watch him run his route, make the catch and end the play. I don't need to, you know, what it, it, the point that you stop it when he's making the catch, I already, obviously it's going to be him that I'm looking at. So don't let the play run out, you know? And the other thing too is if you're a defensive back or some somebody that has some sort of special teams merit, I, you know, this is just personal preference at this point. I really don't want to see you blocking field goal attempts or running them back in. The second I see everybody lined up for a field goal, I know what the highlight's going to be. Let's just go to the next one. (laughs) Well, my my main complaint is uh, just start with the plays. I don't need, you know, flashcards of your nickname and, you know, all these other accolades and this, that, and a third. I mean, you know. Well, the contact information might be helpful in some cases. Yeah, yeah, but if the the first play doesn't start to, like, the 27-second mark, I'm really irritated by that point. Uh, and if, you know, if I know I was actually talking with someone on the phone about it today, coaches only watch about three plays anyway. So if you're eating up 30 seconds with your, you know, Oh, the beast or, you know, like whatever, I, what did I see? I saw one the other day that really made me laugh anyway, that, you know, your self-proclaimed nickname and, and everything like that. I, I just, just get to the, just, just play the film. If you want to make a cool video to show your friends and your family at Thanksgiving with a bunch of cool effects, put it on YouTube. Uh, and we'll embed it on our site because <laughs> that's what we have the capability to do. So uh. anyway, that's that's that, that's how I <laughs> that's how I feel about uh, that's how I feel about that. I'm I'm with you on that one. So I don't have as many specific play pet peeves as you do, but just let's get to get to it. Cut to the chase already. Um, <laughs> speaking speaking of which, you know, now that I've now that I've been home, I've been uh, you know telling you how excited I have been to be at my house. I'm unpacking. I just moved. I got yard work to do. But, uh, you know, I've been going to the to the uh, local law fitness, uh, trying to get some uh, time in on the treadmill and whatnot to lose this uh, camp season weight I've put on. And boy, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's an epidemic, Nick, with these people talking on their phones while at the gym. When did this start? Did I miss this during my one-year hiatus from the gym? Did all of a sudden, people just decide that, like, now nah, I'm working out. I'm just going to talk really loud on my cell phone the whole time. Or is it, what do you think? Well, you know, listen. For a lot of these people that that go to the gym, it's all you know, it's all for superficial purposes anyway. So if you're going to the gym and talking loudly about what you did on Friday night and so on and so forth, because you want people to to hear about how cool you are, then and also look at how good you look, then I, I say it goes hand in hand, don't you? Yeah, but if I'm if I'm the gym, I you know if I'm working there, I got you got to start cracking down. I mean, we got to have a no phones policy in terms of talking. I know people got to take selfies. It doesn't count if you went to the gym if you didn't take a picture of yourself. You know, leg day, etc. Seems like leg day is every day of the week. By the way, if I'm going based on my social media feed, but that's a whole not- <laughs> that's a whole other story. Just don't just don't talk on the phone at the gym, please. It's so annoying. I got well, a phone call yesterday. I, I was I was gonna say the 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 number one thing with talking on the phone at the gym that gets me is like when people are between let's say they're they're doing not on the stairmaster they're lifting weights or whatever and they're using a bench if you go at like six p.m. at night when everybody's done working and they're hitting the gym but like you do you know sometimes. 
people have been known to share the same bench or whatever in between, you know, and alternate sets and, and all that. But the people that go there and sit on the bench while they're cooling down between oh, sets yeah, talk and on talking phone, on the yeah. phone and you never know yeah. when they're going to get into their next one and they just sit there forever. Boy, that's a real bad one. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Although we we all know I don't do a whole lot of weightlifting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your country's strong, so. <laughs> yeah, I got dad strength now. I'm old enough that I don't have any kids, but I still got dad strength. So if you need me to lift a couch, I'm there for you. If you need me to lift some weights, I don't know. Like it's it's middling results. Uh, in terms of in terms of recommendations, I don't know. I mean, it's been a long. It's been a long time on the road. I went to a lot of restaurants I liked in a lot of cities. I don't know if I have any any specific uh, recommendations on that front. I haven't been watching a whole lot of TV. So you you got something? Uh, maybe I can think of something in the meantime. Uh, you know, I, I went to I, I went to go see the new Ghostbusters movie, uh, and that was I'm not necessarily going to recommend it, but it wasn't as horrible as I think people were expecting or hoping it to be. So there's that. Uh, well, only, the only misogynists like you were hoping it would be horrible, expecting it to be horrible. I thought it would be better because <laughs> I had, had women in it. So I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm just a mouthpiece for the the internet at this point. But, but uh, also, I will say, I did watch. I just binge watched um, Stranger Things on Netflix, which uh, features Winona Ryder is one of the main characters and her grand resurgence straight back to the top by means of a successful Netflix series. But it was, I mean, it was kind of like. Uh, do you remember the movie Special? Was it Special Eight or? The one with the the kids Super in the Eight. Super Eight, yeah, it was. It had a similar sort of vibe to that uh, in terms of story and and uh, you know, peer, well, it was a period thing. They had a lot of good '80s music that sounded like the Knight Rider theme and stuff like that. A re- original soundtrack, though. I thought it was a very good show. Yeah, it seems like it's it's been getting a lot of buzz on uh, social media and the like. I've definitely heard a lot of people talking about how much they like it. Uh, so yeah, I would say check that out. I think it's on my list of uh, shows to watch. I actually, what did I watch recently? Well, I've been watching some bad TV as of late. Fear the Walking Dead, which is just a brutal show. When does uh, the regular one come back on again? Because I don't know when that's supposed to start up again. Sometime, yeah, I think it's usually like October or something like that. I think we got more Fear the Walking, which Fear the Walking Dead, by the way, is just basically completely ripped off. I mean, season two of Fear the Walking Dead is exactly like season two of Walking Dead, which is crazy. Uh, and then... Uh, I actually watched the first episode of Orphan Black yesterday, which is a show on BBC America, which ah. I really enjoyed. I yeah, really yeah, enjoyed I'm, that. So, yeah, uh, my wife I was into that for a period of time. I watched my fair share of that. Yeah, I'm only one episode in, but I would say that that would be my mini <laughs> so recommendation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know how it is. I see one. It's like when you travel to a place for two days and then you tell people not to go there ever again, yeah. which is not something I would, which not not something I would do. <laughs> you only watch three plays in a highlight video for a kid, and you watch one episode, and then the decision's made. That's right. Well, guess what? I watched one episode of Preacher, and I could tell you what. Now, you might like it, by the way, but it's a real you know, preacher a doesn't stand a prayer. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> this guy needs some prayers to get picked up for a second season if I'm making the uh the decision. It reminds me of that show what was that show you and Jared liked so much that was on Showtime or Cinemax? Uh, uh oh the uh Banshee. Banshee. It's it's definitely got some Banshee vibes to it. So you might like it, but for me, you know, it's a little too crass. Hmm. Uh you know, I don't <laughs> like the gratuitous blood and, and guts and et cetera. So anyway, there there's your T V talk for this week. Um, I guess that wraps it up. We've been now, Nick. You're headed to the Olympics. Uh, That's right. Hopefully, uh, you got all your shots. I know you're going to the dentist today. You got everything in order to uh, to go down there and cover the Olympics. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Not, not, not really. But you know, I'm just gonna wing it. How hard can it be down there? Yeah, Nick's Nick survived the the Sochi games in Russia, which we you know had a lot of controversy headed into. So I think he can go down. He'll be covering Team Canada for Yahoo Canada, uh, and, and a little which, bit of USA, from what I understand. I'll hope I'll hope to be at one of the uh, the Team USA basketball games, if nothing else, and one oh, of their boy. soccer games. Uh, well, they're not in the soccer tournament, unfortunately. Oh, they're not? Uh, oh, well, good. Yeah, that narrows down. <laughs> Hopefully you get to go to see the women play, though. Uh, you know, our girl, Chris, our girl Christine Press is set to play a prominent role uh, on the team now with some of the roster changes. So you can follow Nick at Rivals Krug City. If you're still listening to this, we should have plugged these way earlier. Uh, I, I, I'm at Rivals Woody. Rob Cassidy, who is somewhere in Colorado fishing, which is definitely off-brand for him. Uh, I don't, I don't know if, uh, what's that company with the whale, the clothes he wears all the time, Vineyard Vines. I don't know. I don't know if they, I don't know if they make like a fishing, uh, slickers or whatever, like wading boots to go into the fly fishing in Colorado. They are, uh, they're just seersucker. Right. <laughs> you can follow him at Cassidy underscore Rob. Please email us, rivalspodcast at yahoo.com. We're going to start taking more listener questions uh, as we uh, shift into the fall. We're going to do a little bit more formatted show. So any feedback you'd like to give us, reach us there. And uh, Nick, enjoy uh, Brazil. Uh, we'll we'll hear you back in a few, I guess, three, three or four weeks. When are you coming back? Uh, I come back on August 22nd, but you know, once I get the lay of the land out there um, and figure out what exactly my workload is going to be on a day-to-day basis and uh, how much extra time I have available, you know, it's only it's only two hours. It's only one hour ahead of Eastern time from when I'll you know when I'll be down there. So uh, so there might be an opportunity if we play around with some Skype or something to see you know if we uh, might be able to keep up with this while I'm down there. But we'll see. Okay, all right. Well, have fun, and we'll be back. Uh, Rob and I will be back with an episode next week produced by me, which I'm sure will be uh, a fun adventure. So, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. M. Deuce, our boy, uh, you can find him on SoundCloud. We'll uh, go ahead and uh, play us out as usual. <laughs>